Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel, and we're here in Elizabeth City to hear from a community saddened by the recent killing of an unarmed black man by law enforcement. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel, and we're here in Elizabeth City to hear from a community saddened by the recent killing of an unarmed black man by law enforcement. We out here to protest, to release the tape, the whole tape, not just 20 seconds, because it's not enough, the whole tape and more accountability for the police murder of Andrew Brown Jr. Community activists in Elizabeth City are demanding justice for Andrew Brown Jr., who was shot and killed by sheriff's deputies at his home on April 21st during an attempt to serve a search and arrest warrant related to felony drug charges. According to accounts from police body cam footage and an independent autopsy report, Brown attempted to drive away, police fired into his vehicle, and Brown crashed into a tree, but only after five bullets struck him one fatal to the back of his neck. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump and a legal team representing the Brown family have demanded the release of all the body cam footage. An innocent man was gunned down, shot in the back of the head, vehicle riddled with bullets from the rear. The community is speaking out. Right now we have with us Quentin Jackson, a regional director for the National Black Caucus of Local Elected Officials and a longtime friend of Andrew Brown Jr. Quentin, thank you so much for being here. You have had a difficult night. You've been very involved with the protests and not doing so great this morning. No, the long eight nights, you know, now going into the ninth um, night with the death of Andrew Brown. Um, you know, is reality. Like I said, I had a rough light last night with an encounter in the police that I understood that I could be Andrew Brown. Um, you know, last night I had a gun pointed at my head. You know, I didn't think when speaking to your team yesterday until today that I would be here to be able to share the story. And then when you go home in bed at night and you get on your knees and pray to God that you made it and that you can sleep another night and wake up, it's just that much of what's happening here in Elizabeth City, but not to focus on here in the Eastern District of North Carolina. I think as more people um, hear the story of Andrew Brown and hear what's going on and the right people get in, a lot more come out. Why were you so surprised at what happened to you last night here? I was so surprised because if you look at my phone, every day I've talked to the chief of police, I've reached out to Sheriff Wooten, I'm in constant communication with uh, the president of the NAACP. We made sure that everybody understood that the protesters would remain peaceful. We made sure that everybody has been safe every night. We made sure to pick up all the trash. So it goes to show when you're doing all the right things and you're black, bad things can still happen to you. And injustices still happen, so. It's gotta be so frustrating. And you knew Andrew Brown. What can you tell us about him? What I can tell you about is that page report, that 168 page report did not define the man. The things that the district attorney is trying to say did not define the man. You must understand that the community knew right away when Andrew Brown got shot that he didn't have a weapon because we knew who Andrew Brown was. We knew the man. We knew he did not carry any weapons. We knew he was very nonviolent. And most importantly, Drew, and I know you guys call him Andrew, but us, he was Drew. He was Drew Brown. And we all called him Drew Brown. But um, Drew Brown would tell you, do something to me, I'm going to call the police. You know, I can tell you that. I believe that he never slept because he was always the first one on Facebook in the morning recording a video. You know, that is the legacy. The night before, 
Um, I was with Andrew Brown. The night before he died, I was with Andrew Brown and we shared so many laughs and there's so much more I wish I could have said before he walked out the door because he left before I did. So just <laughs> the character, you know, that's the hardest part for me is seeing his character assassinated. Being a young father, being a felon, not being able to get a job. So many African-Americans have to go down the road to make sure they can provide. And sometimes it seems that's the only way. That's the only way. When it comes to the messaging coming out of Elizabeth City over this particular incident, there's a message that is being driven, perhaps by media and others. What's the message that you want to go forth? I want to go forth that Elizabeth City is a population of about 17,000 people and that we never ever imagined looking at CNN, looking at ABC, looking at all those national networks, seeing the George Floyds, the Sandra Blands, the Philip Castrillo, looking at all of them. We never thought it could happen in this small old city, never. But then it happened 15 hours after the Derek Chauvin trial, you're here in Elizabeth City and all the people that's here that you see on TV that I think they'll never have to be in the town. And instead of looking out for big leaders, we made sure we kept it small, small town community, how we are. We're gonna lead this protest. We're not gonna let people come in here and be destructive because this is home for so many people. So many people, this is home. And if I invite you to my house, I'm not gonna let you tear up my house, right? Because I have to live here. So we understand that that's the message that we wanna show. We're not gonna let the media change the narrative to looting and protesting and the amount of insurance money these companies are gonna get regardless of what we tear up. We're gonna make sure that it stays the focus of Andrew Brown. Because the protests have indeed been that and they've been nonviolent, they've been peaceful and yet there was a curfew that was imposed. As a regional director for the National Black Caucus of Local Elected Officials, I represent every black elected official for the state of North Carolina. It's disheartening that they would do this. It's disheartening because I'm the first one up in the morning, last one out the door at night when we talk about protests. And to see that everybody was gone by 10.30 every night, no arrests, no vandals, no police cars flipped over, no nothing, just people of different races upset because they may have to take a minute or two minute detour to get to where they are going. You look at the racist comments on Facebook, people calling us bowling pins, calling us speed bumps, all these things that go on and then the mayor take this action. Take this action. Now I've reached out to several of the council members to a tribute of the mayor, and they all said that they was in favor of a curfew, but they were not in favor of the time. They thought it should be a little more around 11 o'clock, which I think I've been more fine with because everybody was leaving at 10.30. But when you're peaceful and you're doing everything right, and now you're trying to mandate these people, and now you're trying to stop people from hurting, and they're doing it peacefully, I think it sends a bad message that if you're doing the right thing, that you're still going to be punished. And that's not what we want to display here. In the last few seconds, what is it that you want, you and community members want? Justice. Release the tape. But I, Dr. Barber came to town and he said something that was very important. He said with the George Floyd, we got a verdict. And that's very important because so many oftentimes you don't get a verdict. Yesterday I want people to pay close attention. The district attorney stood with those officers and tried to justify those officers. What he said was, he said, Mr. Brown tried to hit those officers, came in contact with those officers with his car, but you won't release the tape. In the 20 seconds, none of the attorneys seen that. None of the attorneys seen that. In the 20 seconds, you redacted people, peace officers, 
They're supposed to work for us. You redacted their faces. No need. The names are out. No need for you to redact anything. If you're, you're preaching transparency, be transparent. We want justice and I won't stop. We will not stop until we get a guilty verdict. That's when the justice truly happens. Quentin Jackson, thank you so much for your time and let's hope that things get better for Elizabeth City and for the nation. Yes, ma'am, thank you so very much. If you do not disperse immediately, you will be arrested. There have been nightly protests since the shooting death of Andrew Brown here in Elizabeth City. On April 27th, an 8 p.m. curfew was imposed and activists have been disappointed. Right now, I'm with Montre Freeman, the city manager for Elizabeth City. Thanks for your time. There's one burning question that I think a lot of activists and community members have, and that is because there were so many peaceful protests, protests were peaceful, why was an 8 p.m. curfew imposed? So it's an honor to be here. It's not a pleasure, though. I, I would love to be speaking with you under different circumstances. The purpose for the uh, curfew was multifaceted. First of all, on that Monday night, uh, we had some action. We had um, a second group. So the protest ended about nine, and then there was a second group that went out protesting. That group began to throw rocks at buildings. They egged um, some police cars. The next day, we had a driver to brandish a gun on one of the protesters. Um, and then the third day, which was the day that we was working on the curfew, we actually had an officer to get hit with a rock. And so our protesters here in the city have been absolutely amazing. The citizens here in Elizabeth City have been absolutely amazing. One of the things that's oftentimes not talked about is that when protesters are protesting, what are the rest of the people doing, right? And I like to thank the citizens of Elizabeth City because they exercise a great deal of patience driving around detours and things of that nature. So it was really a team effort. It was team Elizabeth City all the way. Um, but since that time, the protests began to slowly take on a different uh, culture. And so we began to see more cars on the ground, more people on the ground. And so in that space, because I still want to protect protesters, I still want to protect citizens, I implemented a curfew um, so that we could get a hold of this thing. Um, you're absolutely right. Those protesters have, has been and continue to be extremely peaceful. Um, but we have people coming in and I welcome people to the city of Elizabeth City. We are the harbor of hospitality after all, right? It's a beautiful city. We sit here on the water, um, but we do want everybody to be safe. And it's my job and my charge to protect everyone. And so sometimes in trying to protect people, I have to make some decisions that may not be favorable or liked, but at the root of all of it, you know, as an attorney, um, as a graduate of this university, as an African-American man, I'm still pushing with my initiative to protect everybody. And so that's how we got here. Well, safety for everyone is, I think, what everyone wants. So Montre Freeman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Andrew Brown Jr. lived in the Shepherd Street neighborhood here in Elizabeth City. And right now I'm here with Dr. Melissa Stuckey, who is a history professor at Elizabeth City State University, has done research on neighborhoods throughout Elizabeth City. Dr. Stuckey, what can you share with us about the Shepherd Street neighborhood and about the economy um, and social economy of African-Americans in general in this area? This is a really special neighborhood in Elizabeth City. 
It was established by former slaves beginning after the Civil War uh, and was a thriving neighborhood economically and socially all the way through the end of segregation era, so roughly the 1970s when urban renewal began. Um, there's a historic cemetery there that uh, houses or homes um, uh, former USCT, which were United States Colored Troops uh, during the Civil War, the founders of Elizabeth City State University, and is an active cemetery all the way through today. So I've had students in there cleaning and surveying the cemetery very recently. In addition, my students have been surveying the neighborhood and rediscovering the businesses that lined the streets of Elizabeth City, uh, African-American businesses through Erringhouse Road, Water Street, Main Street. These are the streets that you see protesters on right now today. So these streets have a long history of, of, uh, of black feet walking them for parades, for business, and now we see for protests. Dr. Stuckey, it's so important for people to understand the African-American roots here and that this is not necessarily a place where poverty began, but poverty has, has become a part of, of this area. Would that be correct? Yeah, this is a vibrant neighborhood still. Uh, Elizabeth City State University anchors this community and many people in the community are graduates of Elizabeth City State University, our mayor, our city manager. So many people who are part of the community work for the university or attend school here. Uh, it, it's an important space and it's a historic space. Thank you for sharing that positive aspect. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Melissa Stuckey, thank you so much. Thanks. Wednesday night, President Joe Biden addressed Congress and said we need to root out systemic racism in criminal justice. In a rebuttal, Senator Tim Scott said America is not a racist nation. Right now, I am seated with Dr. Hezekiah Brown, a longtime resident of Elizabeth City, and he has written about uh, reparations and about what to do following unrest in a particular city. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to ask you, when you heard the remarks of Senator Tim Scott in the context of what we're dealing with and seeing right here in Elizabeth City, what did you think? When I first heard that, I said, wow, I wonder what planet was he on? It's not only Senator Scott who said this, it's also just a few weeks ago, Senator Lindsey Graham made the same kind of a statement. And so I have to believe that these folks are living on a different planet. Now, let me clarify that. It doesn't mean that every white person is racist, okay? But we have, we have so many, there's a large majority, and it doesn't take the entire white race to be we're talking about, but it just takes a few people. And if you're racist and you have control over people's lives, it's a different story. Let me give you one illustration of what I'm saying. I have lived through this. This is not what someone told me. The same as Tim Scott, I was able to navigate this system, but it, it didn't mean that I didn't face racism. I have worked at every level of government. I'm talking about city, state, county, federal, and other places. So I'm saying that in every, almost every position, I faced racism, systemic racism, but it didn't stop me from working because I was able to navigate the system the same as Tim Scott. But I will never say that we don't have racism in the country. And I, don't, and I think that most white people that I know, they will admit that we have systemic racism in the country. Now, when it comes to what's happening here in Elizabeth City and this most recent incident concerning Andrew Brown Jr., 
is there an issue that you see that could ne needs to be resolved in terms of racism within policing, within the sheriff's office, you know, in terms of the relationship between communities and police communities? Well, I think that, first of all, as I said again, even with law enforcement, all right, I have some of my best friends and some people in my family that's part of the law enforcement system. But the, in, the law enforcement is trapped by what everybody's trapped with. In every single organization that we all work and live in, there are few people who kind of set the stage for the entire agency. And that's what's happening with the police department, okay? But what happened is they, they, they what they would attempt to do with the law enforcement is they want to train them, all right, or teach them and train them. And when they teach and train them, they train them alone. I think in order to address this problem, law enforcement along with the community sitting down at a table and coming up with and defining the problem and then jointly coming up with solutions that will help them that would help the community. Because what I'm saying now, there's barriers in the African-American community amongst the police. And, and, and because sometimes we don't know, even in this case, you're not, we don't know if there were African-Americans who uh, was involved in the shooting. We, we're unaware of what's going on there. But what I'm saying is, until we bring it together, where we can sit and talk across the table and say, yes, we understand what you're going through as, 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 a, as a law enforcement. You understand what the community is going to. And if the two of them sit and define the problem and work on a solution for the problem, it will work. And I can tell you this, I've traveled all over the country. I've been out of the country, been all over the world looking for ways and means to resolve disputes. And that's what you have to do. You cannot legislate hatred. You cannot legislate feelings. You can't legislate anger. You can't, you can't sit in, in, a, in a legislative office and say, this is what we should do. And that's what they do with our law enforcement. They try to legislate feelings, anger, and hatred. And it's impossible to do. People have to talk to each other in order to resolve those disputes. Dr. Hezekiah Brown, thank you so much for your insights. Okay, thank you. Again, Black Issues Forum is in Elizabeth City, and right now I'm with the Reverend Curtis Gatewood, the founder of Stop Killing Us and Justice Ministries. Reverend Gatewood, thank you so much for being here. You don't live in this area, but you are here organizing and being involved. What's your connection and why are you here? Yes, thank you so much for this opportunity, Sister Deborah. Well, it's, it's imperative that we work together as a community without uh, geographic boundaries. In other words, when there are issues that would impair or affect justice, then all of us who are interested in justice, we should be willing to step forward. So it was unfortunate when we heard about the killing of Andrew Brown Jr. We were already working on an issue in Graham, North Carolina, where we had a police officer in Greensboro who had used excessive force twice. He used excessive force uh, as a part of a hog tying of Marcus Smith who ultimately died, and then he used uh, excessive force again, shooting inside an occup occupied vehicle. So while we were working on that to serve the larger issue of being more proactive, because what we were doing there is trying to make sure, rather than uh, hiring those types of police officers, because after he did those two counts of excessive force, he was hired in Graham, North Carolina, after he had been fired in Greensboro. So we're seeing a pattern across the country where we're seeing where police officers are being are using excessive force and then turning around and being hired or staying on the job and being promoted with the opportunity to use it again. And if they're not, if it's not addressed at that moment, 
they are somewhat emboldened to do more. So when we heard about what was going on in Elizabeth City, first of all, it hurt my heart. We, we tried to get in touch with the family. I also know people in Elizabeth City. So it tied into what we were doing. On one hand, we were trying to be proactive. Here we are reacting. But I say we can do both. We can react to the injustices that are occurring. Simultaneously, we can also work on solutions to make sure it doesn't happen again. So based on your interactions with people locally, is what happened with um, Andrew Brown uh, something unique in this community? Did, is, is this symptomatic of something that, that's larger going on here? It's, it's exemplary of a systemic problem that we have across the country. Unfortunately, if it would have been an isolated incident that took place with Derek Chauvin, when, the, when he actually put his knee on the neck of George Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds until he had no breath left in his life, had that been an isolated incident, then we could have addressed that, a pro we could have addressed that problem and that would have been the end of it. But he could not even go through the trial, through the trial without there being a, a, a Dante Wright, without there being Andrew Brown Jr., without there being a, a Lakeisha or Lamisha um, right there in Ohio, Bryant. So, it, it shows you that it's a systemic issue. And through Stop Killing Us Solutions campaign, what we've done is try to be proactive because what we know is gonna happen here just like it's happened across the country. People are gonna protest for about a couple of weeks. After those couple of weeks, when the media pulled back, the media moves, then those people are left with the pain. They're left with the same issues and the cycle continues until there are some people who are continuously working on the issues and addressing the problem. And that's what we are hoping to do. And you yourself uh, were one of seven people arrested during the protests one evening, had to spend some time in jail. What was going through your mind at that time? And, and, and why were you arrested? Well, again, the reason why we were arrested is, is, is exemplary of a systemic problem. Black people are having their constitutional, right, constitutional rights violated. The constitutionality that should exist as they apply to African Americans and other people who are being oppressed, they're being violated. In the case of Andrew Brown, uh, whether it's the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, or the Fourteenth Amendment, which protects people's rights, that calls for due process, that calls for probable cause, that require uh, people being innocent until proven guilty, uh, all those things should be applied whenever there's been a, a warrant served or anything else. But police officers are acting as if they are the judge, the jury, the executioner, and they're coming in killing or as if their job is to punish. And so one thing we want to make clear that people understand that the police officer's standards are, are beneath those of the Constitution that has been applied to all people and provided people protections of their rights. So therefore, what we're trying to do is make sure the Constitution is applied all the time. And, and by people being uh, told in Elizabeth City that they could not protest after 8 o'clock p.m., that was a red flag to me because it violates the First Amendment of the Constitution, which gives them the right to uh, peacefully assemble. They had not committed any violent acts. There was not any looting. They were not doing anything but peacefully protesting. Yet and still, the mayor gave them an 8 o'clock curfew. We felt like that violated their, their First Amendment right as we're seeing a pattern of rights being violated. My understanding is that the curfew, curfew was instituted to keep folks safe on both sides. People say that, um, and, and it's more acceptable, I would say, when there have actually been acts of violence. 
Like for example, we have seen in some cities where someone might set fire to a, pre a precinct or people are knocking uh, or going out destroying uh, property. Uh, we've seen those instances. And when there was a call for uh, a curfew, it seemed more appropriate. But in Elizabeth City, they've been unique in how they protested peacefully throughout this process. There had been no such acts of looting, shooting, uh, destruction to buildings and other facilities. So in this particular case, even though that, uh, that it often happens that these cur curfews are, are mandated, it did not apply to Elizabeth City. The people of Elizabeth City were actually carrying out their constitutional right. And it was a slap in their face to see such a, an egregious act of racial hatred or just outright murder, and then to tell them, oh, by the way, you can't protest after 8 o'clock. What would you like to see happen moving forward past the protests? Because as you said, they're going to be the protests. People are hurting. What would you like to see happen as next steps? Right. First of all, one of the things that we do in my organization called Stop Killing Us Solutions Campaign, we provide solutions. We have an 18-point, what we refer to as our standards for law enforcement. We have our own standards, correct? Currently, the police's standards or law enforcement standards across the country, they're inferior. They do not meet uh, the standards of the Constitution of the United States of America. They do not meet moral standards. They don't meet the justice standard. So what we do is we came up with our own. And so some of those solutions should be applied across the nation, I would think. For example, we're against no-knock searches. People are conducting no-knock searches, going in with the battering ram, tearing down people's doors, coming in like a SWAT team while people are either asleep or caught off guard. That's a military tactic. It doesn't apply to communities. It's not consistent with the U.S. Constitution. So we want those types of uh, military tactics banned. We want to call for more background searches on police officers before they're hired. Before you hire a police officer, not only should you check the history, but you should also check for a, a, affiliation with white supremacist groups, KKK, skintheads, and all these other terrorist groups, because no matter how much we, we say stop, no matter how much we say need, we need more training, no matter how much we say we need more diversity, if you're actually hiring a racist domestic terrorist, he's waiting on his opportunity to kill a black person. Reverend Curtis Gatewood, thank you so much for your insights and for your time. Thank you, God bless you. We invite you to follow us on Twitter using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find all of our episodes online at pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time to our podcast series on Apple iTunes or Spotify. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt Noel. Thank you for watching.